0: Hello everyone, Um, my name is Nathan. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a ministry intern here at SALT um, and it's a privilege to come um, and be preaching God's word uh, this evening. Um, Well done for getting here on a long weekend um, and even more well done if you're a para or a Panthers supporter. Um, I promise that we'll be done before the grand finals finished. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 11 today uh, together. Um, We've got quite a few verses to get through, uh, so we won't have time to look in depth at every single verse, but hopefully as we look at the whole chapter, um, excluding the last little bit, we'll save that for next week. Hopefully we'll be encouraged today. Um, But as Christians, we believe that we need God's help to understand his word, so uh, how about you pray with me now, and we ask God for help. Lord God, we thank you that we can come and we can so openly read your word and hear you speak to us. Um, Lord, we acknowledge that's a privilege that not everyone gets. Um, Lord, would you help us now as we come to your word uh, to hear you speak to us, to help us to see Jesus more clearly and would that shape uh, the way we think about you and the way we think about our lives Um, would we be changed today uh, by your word, Lord. We pray all this for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know what your family were like growing up, um, but when my family had to order pizza, it was a chaotic time. See, all of my family members had their own taste preferences. My dad hates onion. I still don't understand it, but he doesn't have anything with onion on it, but he loves anchovies, so his half of the pizza had to have anchovies, no onion. Everyone else hated anchovies and loved onion, so we would have our own pizza half. I loved ham and pineapple, but my brothers didn't like pineapple on their pizza, so I had my half of my pizza. My mum didn't like meaty pizzas, so she had a vegetarian pizza. We ended up making this complicated order where we all had our different preferences, half and half. The pizza place must have hated my family. Because we're very picky as people, we like things just the way they are. Um, Katie and I are finding this out in a new and a fresh way at the moment, we're about to move house um, and we've been living all of our married life in fully furnished units. So we're buying some furniture together for the first time um, and we're realizing how picky we are, how we like things just the way we like them, we have different tastes in furniture, Katie like some things that I don't understand and I like things that she doesn't understand. But this is the way we are, isn't it? We like things just so. We like to be picky, we like to choose things to suit our needs. But as Christians, I think we need to be a little bit careful of this tendency. I think it's okay to have preferences about furniture and things like that. But when it comes to Jesus, we don't wanna make a pizza version of Jesus. We don't want to pick and choose the things that we like about Jesus for ourselves and end up with something that's not really Jesus at all. You know, maybe we'll go, I want grace, I want forgiveness, I want all the blessing and abundance, but I don't want any judgment, I don't want any sacrifice, I don't want to give anything up. Or maybe you think all about judgment and sacrifice and service and you forget about grace and forgiveness. Maybe sometimes we think of Jesus as our friend more than we think of him as our king. Or maybe we think of him as our king and we never think about Jesus as our friend. We don't want to create a pizza Jesus, but we all have biases, things in our past, maybe the way we were brought up, that can lead us to have skewed visions of how we read scripture, how we think about Jesus. So how can we fix this? Well, I think the best way we can fix this is by looking at God's Word. And today we're looking at Matthew 11 together, and this is a wonderful chapter where Jesus reveals a lot about himself. In God's Word we can come, we have the privilege to hear Jesus himself speak about who he is, what sort of Messiah he is. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Matthew 11 together, but before we jump in, I just want us to step back and think about Matthew as a whole book. Um, Now Matthew is often called... Uh, the Jewish gospel. Uh, Lots of people think it was written to a very Jewish audience Um, and Matthew doesn't really hide what he's writing his gospel about. He kind of gives it away right at the start. If you flick back to the first chapter of Matthew, hopefully you have a Bible there with you. The very first line of the New Testament in Matthew says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is about Jesus, the Messiah. And then again, in 18, again, Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So Matthew's really writing to try to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you're wondering what a Messiah is, what's well, the same word you might have heard translated as Christ, Sometimes we make Christ Jesus' last name these days, we always say Jesus Christ, but Christ the Messiah, it means this chosen one, God's chosen one, God's anointed. Sometimes it's used of kings in the Old Testament. It's a word for the person that God is gonna choose to bring about his promises, to bring about the plans that he has, God's anointed one. And the Old Testament is full of promises about this coming Messiah, this coming coming anointed one that God would use to bring about his promises. And if Matthew is trying to convince the Jews that Jesus is this Messiah, it's worth thinking a little bit about, well, what were the Jews expecting the Messiah to be like? It would seem that it was a bit of a mixed bag at the time. Uh, most Jews thought that the Messiah would be like a king, like a king from the line of David, who would who would come and conquer the Romans who were pressing them at the time. This Messiah would save Israel, would restore Israel to the glory days of King David. He would be this conquering figure. Some Jews also thought he would be a bit like a prophet, a bit like Moses or Abraham, a messenger from God who would bring God's word to the people. And even some other Jews thought maybe he'd be a bit more like a priest, maybe someone from the, the tribe of Levi uh, who, could, who could clean the people like the priests would and, and be messengers to God. And these are all fair enough uh, ideas that the Jews have because there's lots of Old Testament passages about this Messiah, many things that say he will come to rule, he will come to bring God's message, to cleanse the people, to bring the people back to God. So the Jews are kind of expecting this figure, this, this ruler, this, this priest, this, this, this prophet-like figure. And sadly, many Orthodox Jews are still waiting for that Messiah, for this ruling king that will come and conquer. And this is what the Jews were expecting at the time of Matthew. This is the sort of audience that Matthew's trying to write to convince them Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know if you've seen uh, The Life of Brian, I was actually encouraged by a Bible college lecturer of all people to watch that movie because he said that the sheer chaos depicted in that movie is a bit like what the time would have been like. You know, everyone's looking for a messiah here, there and everywhere, are you the messiah? He's the messiah, I'm not the messiah, yes I'm the messiah. The Jews are excited, they want to see the messiah and Matthew's saying Jesus is the messiah. That's what his whole gospel is about. And if we come back to Matthew 11, we see that it wasn't only the Jews that had expectations about the Messiah. It wasn't only Jewish leadership. It would seem, as we read the start of Matthew 11, that John maybe too had some expectations about what the Messiah would be like. If you come with me back to Matthew 11, the first verse is kind of a summary uh, to get us into the next story. And then from verse 2, we read these words. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now I wanna remind you that back at Jesus' baptism, John had these words to say to the Jews about the Messiah. He said this, that his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's gonna clear his threshing floor, Gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It would seem that John has this picture of, again, this this figure who's going to come, who's going to gather the wheat, the people of Israel, back to himself and he's going to burn the chaff in the fire. And he's saying this to the Jewish people as a warning. Be ready for this Messiah that's coming. And we all know that after that, Jesus arrives to be baptised. It would seem that John has this great picture of this Messiah, this one to come. But maybe, just maybe as he's sitting there, condemned in prison, suffering, waiting to be executed, maybe John begins to doubt. Are you really the Messiah, Jesus? Because the situation I'm in doesn't look like you are. Is this really what we were to expect when the Messiah came to save us as I sit in prison, rotting, waiting to be executed? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now I think at times we can relate a little bit to how John feels here. Now if things are hard, maybe they're not going to plan, often doubts can creep into our minds, can't they? Is following Jesus really what it cracked up to be? Is he really the one who was to come? Is he the one? And in these times of doubt, we don't want to be relying on a pizza Jesus, a version of Jesus that we've just come up with to get us through. We need God's Messiah, not ours. Because what happens if the version that we've created no longer lines up with what's in front of us, the reality that we face. If we think Jesus is gonna be this all-powerful saving Messiah who will conquer, and we're sitting in a prison, facing execution, our doubt can grow into disbelief. But in Matthew 11, we see Jesus respond to this doubt. To this doubt, Jesus today says, I am the one that's worth following. I am this Messiah that was always promised. And in this chapter, we see some wonderful things that Jesus reveals and we see some challenging things about himself that Jesus reveals. So let's jump in and hear what Jesus has to say. We heard earlier read uh, from verse 4. And let's see what kind of Messiah God chose to bring into this world what Jesus says about himself. Now, you'll see if you've got an outline there, I've put four dot points to try to orient us, orientate us a little bit as to where we're going. Uh, by no means that is a, a be-all and end-all list of things that are in this passage. There's a lot that we could pull out and we could spend hours, but I won't keep you. The grand finals are not too far away. But hopefully that will just help you see where we're going today. Um, it's, and if we jump in at verse 4, I'm going to read again for us from verse 4, Jesus' reply to John. From verse four, Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So I think the first thing we see here about Jesus is that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is bringing healing in these verses. And this little section is kind of a bit of a summary of what what has come before in the chapters before. See, since the Sermon on the Mount, the following chapters in Matthew are all about Jesus healing people. There's so many healings in the next few chapters. Stories of him healing people with leprosy, the blind, the lame. And here he kind of summarizes all of that. And the language that Jesus used here echoes lots of images of Isaiah. Isaiah is full of this language of a promised one who would come to heal the people. Images of the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, of the leprosy being cleansed, the deaf hearing, the the dead being raised. These are all pictures in Isaiah continuously of this, this person, this time in history where God would bring healing. And Jesus is saying, John, it's right now. I'm the one who's bringing the healing. You've seen it, you've heard about it, it's true, it's me. God's Messiah, Jesus, is a healer. So Jesus shares this news with John's disciples Yes, John, I'm the one that is to come. I'm the healer, John, I can bring healing. You're in prison, you're suffering, but know that I can heal every wound because I am the chosen Messiah, God's Messiah. So then John's disciples leave with this message, and from verse 7, Jesus then continues his teaching to the crowd. Now from 7 to 15, there's a whole lot we can unpack. There could be a whole sermon on these verses, and it still wouldn't be enough, but I want us to focus particularly on one thing, and it's going to center around verse 10. You'll see there that verse 10 is kind of sectioned out in your Bible. It is in mine, Um, and that's because it's a quote from Malachi uh, chapter 3. So we'll get to that, and leading up to verse 10, uh, we see that Jesus... Titus starts to speak about John to the crowd. Uh, From verse seven, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says this, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you now it seems that Jesus is teaching the crowd about John but if we understand what the scripture passage that Jesus quotes here we'll see something else See, the scripture passage here quoted is from Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi uh, if you flip back a few um, books you can flip with me it's the last uh, book in the Old Testament just before Matthew. Now this is probably just a coincidence that our Bibles have been set up with this way. Um, but Malachi is written after the Exile. It's one of the later prophets. Um, and in Malachi it's this book about sort of a, a um, court case almost between God and the people. See God comes and he speaks through Malachi and he kind of puts the people on account for how they've been acting. After the exile, the people came back to the promised land, but they kind of flailed about a little bit, they struggled to rebuild the temple, they got there eventually, but their, their sacrifices weren't what they used to be, their worship of God was not what they used to be, and God comes and speaks into this situation through Malachi. And he says an incredible thing in Malachi chapter three. If you look there, if you flip back to Malachi, at the end of chapter two, the question of the people is, where is the God of justice? Where are you, God? And in Malachi 3, verse 1, we read this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So God is gonna send a messenger before himself and then he is gonna come to the situation to bring his judgment to the people. And clearly back in Matthew, Jesus is saying, that's John, who did you go out to see? A prophet, even more than a prophet, it's this prophet, the very messenger that was to come before the Lord. So, who is the Lord then? Well Jesus is saying, the Lord, it's, it's me. You might notice back in Matthew that the language is a little bit different in the quote. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, as Jesus quotes it, whereas in Malachi, it's I will send my messenger ahead of me. And it would seem that Jesus is now placing himself in that narrative that God spoke about in Malachi. Back then, as God said, I will send my messenger before me, now Jesus quotes God, almost speaking to himself, saying, I'm gonna send my messenger ahead of you, Jesus. Jesus is the Lord that was promised. And this is mind-blowing, I'm sure, to the Israelites. They were expecting a messiah of some sort, maybe a kingly figure, a person, but not the Lord. But Jesus is making clear that he is the one. He is the Lord. And if it's not clear enough, down in verse 14, again, Jesus alludes back to Malachi. If you see there, at the end of verse 14, Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, he, talking about John, is the Elijah who was to come. And Malachi ends with these words, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. See, Jesus is talking about John, but he's really talking about himself. Who is John? He is that great prophet, remember? And do you know who he really is? He's that messenger that was spoken about. That one that's going to be like Elijah who's going to come before the Lord comes. And who is the Lord it's me God's Messiah Is the Lord himself That's who Jesus is So Jesus Jesus as the Messiah He is the healer And he's the Lord God himself come to be With his people So they're the first two things I want us to notice uh, In this chapter The next one is that Jesus is a little bit of a misfit. Let me explain. Jesus speaks, it's a bit difficult to understand what he's getting at here, but if you, if you think about it for a bit, it kind of comes through. He speaks about the current generation and their re- reaction to him as the Messiah. And he says that they're a little bit like children playing a game in the marketplace. See, in Jesus' day, like today, kids loved to play role-play. But instead of playing maybe kings and queens or, or mummies and daddies or, or adults and dogs, that's what my nieces and nephews play. It's a bit hierarchical, I don't know about it, but they have fun. In Jesus' day, the kids would play weddings and funerals in the marketplace. And what they would do is they would play a pipe and then everyone had to dance like they were part of a wedding party. And then if they sang a sad song, they'd pretend to be at a funeral and they'd mourn and Jesus is saying that the leaders of the day are a bit like these kids in the marketplace. What's he getting at? Well, Jesus doesn't really fit the mold that the, the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish people wanted of a Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to fit what they expected. They wanted Jesus to dance the dance for them or to mourn for them. But Jesus doesn't. And not only Jesus, John doesn't either. In verse 18, we read, For John came, this is Jesus speaking, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, Jesus doesn't fit in with what people were expecting of him. And the people of the day, They grumbled, they complained, they weren't happy that Jesus wasn't playing their game. God's Messiah is a little bit of a misfit. I think this is a challenge to us a little bit today too. I think we need to remember that sometimes Jesus might not fit exactly with how we expect him to be. You know, maybe last week, Jesus challenged us with something that we didn't like when he said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That kind of grinds our gears sometimes. It doesn't fit with our picture of what we'd like Jesus to be. We want to keep Jesus in our box, but sometimes he doesn't fit in our box. And we want to be careful that we don't complain and whinge about who he is and say, you're not playing our game, Jesus, because we need to remember what he's just said. I am the Lord I am the God who loves you and knows what's best for you. So it's a challenge to to not be so put off if Jesus doesn't quite fit our expectations, but actually to lean into that and go, maybe something's not right with me. Maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe I'm off. We don't want to be like the people of the day that that dismissed Jesus because he didn't fit the mould. And this is extra important because of what Jesus goes on to say in our last section today. We've seen Jesus, God's Messiah, is the healer. He's the Lord himself and he's a bit of a misfit. And now we're going to see that he is also the judge. Now this was already a little bit alluded to when Jesus quoted Malachi and there was images of the Lord coming to judge but it's, it's reinforced here with what Jesus says. If you look with me from verse 20, Jesus begins to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles have been performed. This is what he says. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre of Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. These are heavy, heavy words from Jesus to the towns. These towns that Jesus is talking about here, uh, these were the towns where Jesus did most of his ministry up until this point, where he performed all of these signs that were in the chapters beforehand. And Jesus is pronouncing judgment on these places. See, the miracles that Jesus performs were were meant to be a sign to these people that the Messiah had come, that Jesus was the Lord, the one who would come to save them, but they don't repent and they reject him. And Jesus says that the judgment these people are going to face is going to be worse than the judgment of some of the worst cities in ancient Israel. Cities like Tyre and Sidon. Places that were condemned for worshipping Baal and not worshipping God. Or Sodom. Lots of us will know the story. A city notorious for terrible sin that faced judgment in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying the judgment that these towns are going to face will be worse than those towns. And why? Well, these towns in the past have rejected God, but the towns that Jesus is walking among, the towns that he is performing signs to, to show them who he is, God himself is there in the very town and they want nothing to do with him. Maybe the towns in the Old Testament had some lack of knowledge. They weren't part of Israel. But in this new, amazing time where Jesus is on earth, walking amongst these very towns, the people don't even know who he is. And they reject him, they don't repent, and they face judgment. And I think this, again, is quite a challenge to us today. Because for us now we can see even more clearly who Jesus is. See, Jesus is saying all of this before he's even gone to the cross, before he's been raised again, before the book of Acts, before the letters, before Revelation, we can now see all of Jesus's ministry, all of who he is, and we don't want to reject him. Otherwise, we'll face the judgment that these towns are facing. We can see the full revelation of God in scripture and all of who Jesus was and is and we don't want to reject our saviour. Jesus calls these towns to repent and they don't. We don't want to do the same. This is a heavy end to our passage today but it's a warning to us. If Jesus is the judge, we need to hear that and not reject him. So this are the, these are the things that that God's Messiah are about, that Jesus is about. He's a healer. He is the Lord himself. He's a bit of a misfit, but he's the judge. And this is the Messiah that God chose, not the one that we chose, the Messiah that God chose and we now see these things more fully don't we we've seen all of Jesus' ministry play out and we've seen that as Jesus speaks about healing we know that's more than just physical now we know Jesus can bring healing from sin our greatest need and we look forward to a time when in eternity we won't have to face sickness or death anymore Jesus truly is the healer and we know that even greater now than these people. And we know how Jesus is the Lord himself. We've seen his whole ministry. We've seen him raised from the dead and then exalted to be with God. We've, we've read the revelation images of Jesus seated on the throne. He is God and he came to be with us and he now is with us by his Holy Spirit. We've seen that even greater than these people. And we've seen how much Jesus didn't fit in because the people of his day had him trialed and hung on a cross because he's not what they wanted so therefore we should take more seriously the fact that Jesus is also the judge and we can see that more clearly but something we can also see more clearly and that we have to remember is that we don't just face a judge we face a judge who was judged for us we don't serve some disconnected, unaffectionate, uninterested judge who's just there to judge us. No, we serve a judge who has come to take our judgment on himself. So maybe as as doubt creeps in, as the circumstances that you're in don't quite match what you thought following Jesus would be like, remember this Jesus. Remember the Jesus of the Bible let's not make some version of Jesus that doesn't stand up to the test let's sit with the realities of what this passage is saying about Jesus and the rest of Matthew is going to say about Jesus as we work through it this term let's remember that Jesus is a healer and he offers us healing let's worship him as the Lord and nothing else because that's who he is let's remember that he doesn't actually fit our expectations all the time and that's a good thing because our expectations are often skewed and misplaced. And let's remember that Jesus is the judge and sit with that. But also remember that he is a judge who is willing to be judged for all of us. So my encouragement to you this week is to maybe just dwell on one aspect of who we've learnt Jesus to be today that maybe you don't think about that often. Maybe there's something in here that you often leave off of your pizza you don't want to think about it because it's confronting or maybe you just don't think about how wonderful Jesus' healing that he offers is or worship him enough as the Lord. I just want to encourage you to to sit with who Jesus is in scripture, to come back to scripture, to hear who he is time and time again and get to know him. We don't want to worship some version of Jesus that we've created in our minds. Uh, We want to worship the true Jesus, the true Messiah that God chose and that we didn't choose. So I encourage you this week to reflect on this passage next week we'll be looking at a wonderful passage that reveals more about who Jesus is um, but as I close how about I pray for us heavenly father we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us uh, in your son Jesus Lord we confess that often at times um, we make you into things that please us and may not always be the truth um, and we are sorry for that, Lord. Help us to see you clearly for who you are. Help us to be willing to accept the things that are difficult, knowing that you are a loving God who cares for us and knows what's best. Uh, Father, would you help us this week as we, as we go out into the world? Um, help us to stay close to you. Uh, would our lives, as we look at them, and they may not fit what we expect, um, would you be close to us in those times, reminding us of who you are and reminding us of what Jesus has done and who he is. Uh, so we praise you um, and thank you for your word. Um, and We pray all these things uh, for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.